This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. When you say you're going to write and you sit down to write, there is no better feeling. The flip side, when you say you want to write but can't get yourself to start, the self-loathing runs deep, which only fuels the doubt that makes you question if you really are a writer and have anything of value to share. Maybe today you're in a rhythm of writing, but there likely was a period when you wanted to write but never laid down a word. Today, Dave and I will be discussing tips for getting you on the road to writing if you're stuck. So I know I've experienced periods like this where I sit down at a computer and I feel completely blank, numb. I can't spit out anything. I think I don't have anything to say. But one thing that I've noticed that keeps me writing is if I have a deadline. So whether it's a work deadline or even like a a side project, if I have a deadline that keeps me writing, I can't let myself off the hook because I'm accountable to somebody else. Has that been the case for you, Dave? In fact, I was just saying this morning about how when I need to get something done, such as edit a podcast or something like that, even by just starting it, opening up the audio file, opening up the editing software, even if I only spend one minute, just by starting something, it helps me It helps me down the road of completing it. So I totally understand. So what, what would you say, Melissa, are some of your deadlines? Like... Give me an example of a deadline that prompts you to write. So this is an actual example of a hard deadline where I'm accountable to somebody else. Last year, I was writing for a shelter magazine, and it was freelance work. And so it was something that I did on the side on the weekends or in the night when I wasn't attending to my full-time work with CZ. And there were times on the weekend or the night when I was utterly exhausted. And the last thing I wanted to do was write because with writing, it never is easy, right? And so you put it off thinking there's going to be an easy time. But because I had a deadline, this this article was going to be going to print. So I had to get to the editor by a specific time. I had to get it in. So that's a real specific deadline scenario. And lots of us don't have an external person needing something like that. But I think it's helpful to think in terms of deadlines internally, like what would, what deadlines can you set for yourself to just get you to the next level? And sometimes it might be simply my deadline is to open up a file and write three words. Right. Because some people can't even do that. If they look at it, I've got to write a chapter of a book or I've got to write an entire article. That's too big. So if you can think of it in terms of today, I'm going to write the opening sentence. Like that's often where I started with this, um, these articles for the magazine. The opening is always where you have to hook the reader. And so I thought if I could just get that done, then I knew the rest would come. And so I would often say, okay, this one sitting, I'm just going to work on the opening sentence. So that's one way to get started writing. And often I would write down that opening sentence or those that opening paragraph, and then I'd be well into my article and I'd just continue to write. Related to that, as you think about that opening, sometimes, well, always good writing includes stories. So sometimes I'll just go, okay, what's a great story? It may not even be that relevant to what I'm writing about. And if I start to write the story, sometimes I'll either trigger another story that I need to tell 
or I realized, you know, the reason I thought about this story initially is because it does have some applicability to my idea here. And even if that story doesn't end up in the book, or even if it's not that applicable, you just created a chunk of content, which you may be able to use later. Right. I think it has to do with being engaged with the world around you. So many times we go through life just passive, and we don't really take in the details of things that are happening around us. And I think when you decide that you're going to write or you want to write, I think just being in tune to the world around you and things that are happening, comments that are made, conversations, even the way something smells or looks or a feeling in the room that where you were present, when you start to take those in, then you start to create fuel for the writing process when you actually go start to sit down to write. We just did this interview with Alan Omling, who uh, is moving from his PhD thesis and, and moving to create a book out of it, which is a big process. But he talked about these nuggets that he would stumble across in his PhD thesis, but couldn't fully explore. And he created themes out of these nuggets, but his mind was like alert to these nuggets, right? And so I think in the same way, if you want to write, it's in a sense, noticing and observing and maybe somehow figuring out a way to to capture that, like through writing it down. I was thinking about an idea the other day, well, I was taking a shower thinking about this topic of the outdoors. I want to write a book about the outdoors. I've spent my life in the outdoors. And and there was just this insight about my experience. And I thought, I gotta capture that. And I I remember because I didn't capture it and and now I forgot it. I oh, just no. I, I know I just had an idea, right? You need an erase it board in your shower, Dave. <laughs> Oh man, that there's a go, but it needs to be permanent marker. Permanent marker. <laughs> <laughs> but I I struggle with this. I and I think with a lot of us, we want to write a long time and desire to write before we actually start writing. Right. And and how do you move that? I I think it's difficult. I I've struggled to to really begin to say, okay, I am going to write this book on the outdoors and making that decision. And I've started to collect files. That would be another tip actually, is to actually go into your your computer and create a folder and and create a few Word documents and just start throwing stuff in. You're at least creating movement. And I would also suggest maybe don't think in terms of writing a book. Maybe that's too big. Maybe you just start in terms of thinking about themes like Alan did or like you're doing because the book is just too big of an abstract and you think I I can't write a book you know it seems too big so maybe it's just about writing in general things that are, are of interest to you things that are are tickling your your mind I, I I think that people get so stuck when they think of writing a book because it's so big I agree I think too often the book when we think about writing, you're not necessarily always going to be writing a book. You might be writing for your work. You might mm-hmm. be writing for a church newsletter. You might be writing for a, a newsletter for where a place that you volunteer at. There's all these different avenues or spheres in which we write. And and sometimes I think just sitting down and doing the small piece of it, not thinking about the whole, I think that's a great, great idea. Yeah. And you often, like I said, and you've said, is you have these deeper insights the minute you start 
jotting things down, it leads to another idea. Before you know it, you have a more fully articulated thought and idea on on your paper, on your screen, whatever whatever way you're writing and capturing your ideas. So Dave, what about writing exercises? You know, I do a lot of writing on Instagram and sometimes I don't know what to write about. There are only so many things you can say about, you know, the hundred mirrors that I have collected over the years. And so I'm like, how do I say something that's interesting to my readers? And I, so I asked my husband, you know, give me a writing prompt. And one time he said, he looked at the floor and there was a pile of laundry. He goes, write about laundry. And it had nothing to do about the picture I was posting, but I'm like, okay, I'll write about laundry. And I started writing about laundry and somehow managed to relate it back to the image, which I thought was pretty amazing. But it got me writing and it got me thinking in a creative way because laundry didn't relate perfectly to the image, but it, it really prompted me or challenged me to, to connect ideas, which I think is a great exercise. So what did you actually write about given the laundry theme? Yeah, so I had taken a picture of a basket of French beaded flowers, and you probably don't know what that is, but it's a basket that has these tiny little seed beads and it's it's hand done. And so I took a picture of that because I thought it was pretty and it's, it was something unusual and something I newly acquired. And so my husband said, write about the laundry. And so I wrote, a tisket, a tasket, a white French beaded basket, which sure is a bundle better than a full laundry basket, which is always the case when I'm in charge of laundry, because an empty basket means piles of laundry to be put away, and putting away is oh so onerous when you have too many clothes and too little space. If only I could Marie Kondo my life, but that would mean this tisket, tasket, beaded basket would definitely not be part of my life, because really, I have no place to put this thing, and I'm pretty sure Marie Kondo would say it needs a spot if I'm going to own it. Forget Marie Kondo and forget that task of a basket of laundry. I'm heading to Goodwill instead. Tisk tisk. That is great. How did you come up with that just based on the word laundry? That should be encouraging for our readers. I actually really loved writing it. I had no idea how I was going to connect it together, but he said laundry, and then I saw the laundry basket, and then I looked at the French beaded basket, I'm like, oh, they're both baskets. And what could I say about these two things? And I don't know, it was one of those things where you just start writing and then you start to make connections. And it was a lot of fun to write and it, and it pushed me creatively. Probably wouldn't have written that if I didn't have this kind of faux deadline that I place on myself every day to post on Instagram or almost every day. I don't quite do it every day anymore, but I do try to post regularly on Instagram. And if I hadn't had a bow deadline, I probably wouldn't have pushed myself to write that. But the other thing that this reminds me of is you had a deadline because you're posting on social media. So maybe one takeaway too is don't just assume that you can write anything on social media, but maybe use social media as a chance to write creatively. Yeah, I do use Instagram in that way probably about 70% of the time. Sometimes I just don't have it in me to write creatively or think abstractly, but I've actually used it as a way to hold me accountable to writing and actually work on my word choice, my voice, metaphor, to say things in a fresh way that might be cliche otherwise. So yeah, I think if you, and the great thing about social media is you get immediate feedback it's just a way to hear from other people. You have really great words and I really connect with what you're saying. And I think we all need that sort of encouragement along the way. So 
I know other friends who post on Facebook and they and they use it as a platform to post some of their musings and it's a way for them to develop their craft of writing as well. So that's just another way to get writing is don't think of it as a book project. One of my, that friend that I was just talking about who posts on Facebook, some of her musings, she wants to write a book someday. And I keep on saying, just post, you know, a hundred, 150 word post on Facebook about something that you're contemplating, you know, an image or a conversation or something you read and interpret it for your audience. And it always is beautiful. And I always enjoy it. If you want to write, you just need to write. And I think social media is actually a great way to do it, as opposed to just thinking that it's it's just talking about, you know, your kids, this or that. I mean, for you, McGillicuddy, which is your Instagram platform, it is about vintage and you're very specific about right. that and you have you're very intentional about that. But I think even I was just thinking about my Instagram for my personal, I'm just thinking about that in the moment. And I often just have one or two sentences and I post the image. And maybe the idea or the one takeaway is just to, hey, think through a little bit longer narrative or explanation or whatever it is and try to craft a, craft the sentences and think a little bit or spend a little bit more time on it. I don't know. Yeah, I I would read your post, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, now I'm motivated. Woo-hoo. No, but I, I always love reading your words. So I would actually really love it if you did some more narrative on Facebook, just because it's always challenging to me to read other people's writings who are really good writers. And I think that that's another point that we wanted to make in this podcast is that you gain energy around writing when you read good writers. It really raises the, the the benchmark for yourself and it gets you excited when somebody uses words in a great way and somebody inspires you with words so read read great words and it will help you become a better writer and maybe even motivate you to start writing in the last six months to a year i have done more listening to audio so yeah uh, and i've decided there are certain kinds of books that I don't want to waste my reading time, but they're important for me to know. And sometimes, well, even the phrase waste my reading time is not quite accurate, but I want to reserve my reading for higher level, really quality books. So recently I listened to The Coddling of the American Mind, which is a sociological analysis of what's happening, certainly to the digital generation or what they call the I generation. I've also listened to Anne Lamont's uh, book on called Bird by Bird, which is her writing uh, book, book on writing, which is really powerful. I'm in the middle of listening to uh, The River Why, which is a book on fly fishing. And it's a, it's a novel. It's just a really well done book. But one thing I learn when I read and listen is you start to see how other people structure things. And one of the things I noticed with the American Kingpin, which was another book I listened to, but also with the River Y, and also with Anne Lamott's book, is this pattern of shorter chapters. And I think this is another takeaway, is that sometimes we get so hung up on the longer 2,500 or 4,000 word chapter or 5,000 word chapter. But sometimes you look at at these books and you realize they're creating shorter chapters and I think it helps them with structure. Yeah. So that's an insight that has come from reading, but it helps me, it helps me get started. 
Does that make right. sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I've also heard you say in the past, Dave, that it's important to read wide and deep, meaning you cover a lot of different genres, a lot of different topics that you don't personally have an expertise in. And then sometimes you go deep into a subject, but when you do that, you begin to see the human experience in a much broader way, and you can bring in those understandings into your own writing. It just makes you a richer writer. What would be an example of the human experience? Well, I think, yeah, I think, so for instance, maybe I'm not an expert in fly fishing, so maybe I would read your the book that you are reading on fly fishing and I haven't read it so I don't know if this would be in there but something about what happens when to your soul when you are on your own and you're you know I don't know what it would be but something about there's this sense of transformation that happens inside of you when you are disconnected from the world around you right so that I think is something that speaks to the universal of the human experience but even though I don't have experience with fly fishing that, that's a great example. Another is, as I'm thinking about the, the novel, The River Why, even though it's a book about fly fishing, the same is true about the movie and the novella, A River Runs Through It by Norman MacLean. So the same is true of A River Runs Through It, and it's also true of The River Why. It's really not about fly fishing. Both of those books are about these relationships within a family, and the big idea of A River Runs Through It, that movie with Brad Pitt that everybody remembers, but the big <laughs> idea is really not about fly fishing. The authors of that script, who are actually Norman McLean, used fly fishing to talk about this deeper issue, which is, I think, I think if I could say this correctly, it's, let me think about this. I think the big idea of A River Runs Through It is you... You can't fully understand the people you love, but you can still love them fully or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really about family and about just the impossibility sometimes of loving your family members and yet this deep and, and this deep pull to love them. Right, right. And I think that's true when you read nonfiction books, you know, maybe you can pull something you learn in the nonfiction realm and make a metaphor in your own writing or draw some sort of connection to the human experience on your own. You say, I learned this about trees in this book, and really it relates to what I'm saying in this way. I don't know. I don't have a great example, but I just think it makes you a better writer when you can draw on different things besides just your own experience, because you connect with people then in different ways, the reader in different ways. Another way to get writing is just to have human accountability. We've talked a little bit about how we have our own personal accountability, like me posting on Instagram real regularly, but there's also power in having accountability with another human being, maybe in a cohort group, or maybe a mentor, or maybe you hire a coach. Today, coaches are ubiquitous. People hire life coaches, people hire business coaches, executive coaching. There is really coaching for almost any aspect of life, really. And, and there's a reason why it's popular is because a good coach will give you a modicum of accountability. That's an external force. I don't know if force is the word, but just somebody that's 
outside of yourself that can say, hey, did you write? Did you not write? And it doesn't just have to be for a book. But if you're someone who says, you know, I really want to start writing in 2021 or whatever the year it is, I want to I want to write. It doesn't mean you have to write a book. It might be just simply starting a blog. It might be, as you just said, writing more on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, whatever the goal is. But I think a Accountability is really important. Sometimes you get it with a one-on-one coach. Sometimes it's great to be part of a, a cohort. When I was years ago, when I was in publishing and I worked for a publishing, it was a magazine publisher, but we also did book publishing as well. There was a group of us called Quiddities, and there were it was three of us. And it was Mark and Rich and Brian and me. No, it was four of us. And we would get together probably every two weeks. Sometimes it was every three weeks. Sometimes we do it every week, but we would have a piece of reading that we would have to read. So sometimes we would read Somerset Mom, or we would read a well piece, a deeper, longer article from Sports Illustrated magazine, and we would be required to read it before we met, and then we would just discuss it. Now, that's a form of accountability. It's a cohort. Now, that was about reading and not necessarily writing, but the principle is the same. I think if you can find a group that holds you accountable, even if it's not a harsh accountability, like, did you do this? That's normally how we think of accountability, but sometimes it's just, hey, ooh, I'm meeting with them. I've got to do something before the meeting. Right. That's valuable. Right. When you're in it with somebody else, it doesn't feel quite as lonely. I, One of my friends who's a particularly wordy friend, she was an editor at the same publishing company you are in. She's been spending a lot of time with us during um, COVID quarantine and just last night, we were talking about Davis, my son, giving us a writing prompt and us each writing a paragraph or two in response and just comparing how they're different. And we're both like, oh, that'd be so much fun. But the, the point of it is it would get us to exercise our writing brain, our writing muscle, and it would also just expose us to each other's different styles and voice, which I think is valuable as well. So I, I just think anything you can do to just make it fun and enjoyable is going to help you not see it as this this overwhelming task. A good example of that is thinking about fly fishing. We all want to be great fly fishers. We all want to learn how to cast. But until you cast and start doing it, you don't grow. And writing is so much like that. Writing is just something that you're not going to be great at it starting out. It doesn't mean you can't be great at it. It doesn't mean you can't be... Annie Dillard or whoever. It just means that you have to start somewhere and there's no place to start other than right now. And you're only going to get better, but you have to start doing it. I still remember being in grad school and telling one of my professors that I aspired to write. And I'm not sure what I was, what I was expecting from him, what I, would, what I thought he'd say, other than good job, Dave. That's really wonderful. He just looked at me and said, you know, Dave, if you want to write, you need to write. Writers write. Writers who don't want to write, don't write. And right. so there is this point at which you do have to wrestle with the question, your core desire, do you really want to write? If so, you have to write. If you want to become a fly fisher, you have to start fly fishing. You have to learn how to cast. You have to understand how to read a river. You have to actually fly fish. You have to go out and fly fish. That's the only way you learn. And the same is true for writing. 
Originally, I wanted to cover carving out time to write, which every book consultant, coach, mentor says. And really, that's not what this podcast episode is about. It's really about how do you get started when it feels overwhelming? We'll talk about carving out time in another episode, but we hope that this has given you all some ideas just to jumpstart your writing if you've felt stuck for some time. Sometimes you just need an impetus. Maybe it's a motivation. It's something. It's reading something. It's something happens in your life. But just getting started is really, really important. In closing, I also want to say that it's all right to take writing breaks. You don't have to be writing 365 days of the year. I mean, it, it's all right. You took a break after writing Death by Suburb. You didn't I write did. a book for a few years. So sometimes you need that break just to refuel and refresh. Maybe you're reading new things and you're not writing as regularly as you once were. And that's all right. Which should be encouraging to our, our audience because that means not to feel guilty or just think of the time as wasted, but just say, okay, now I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's start with something small and let's make progress. So Dave, let's move on to our words of the episode. And I'll start with my word for the episode and it is murmuration. And it's that swarm behavior of birds when you see them dip and move and crescendo up and down. It's a very poetic movement, but they move in the group. And I always wondered why they do that. And when I did a little bit of research today, I realized that they do it because there's safety in it from predators. And it's also how they keep warm, but it's such a beautiful word. And when you see that word in context of the beauty of the movement, it's just, it's a, it's wonderful. I want to use that word all the time. So I'm trying to figure out a way to use it possibly in an Instagram post. Murmuration. I love that word. That explains to me what I saw this fall when I was in North Dakota. Every fall, I go, I go back with my, my brother's sons and nephews, and we go back to hunt with my father who is still alive. I don't know how many years we'll have left with him, but we go back goose hunting, pheasant hunting. But this year, it was an amazing year. One, there were so many geese were in the central flyway in North Dakota. And so literally it's millions of geese are coming through. It's just, it's just an amazing phenomenon. But we saw a murmuration of blackbirds yeah. and they were flying in this weird swirly formation like a ribbon, but it was, it was like, it was maybe 30 to 40 feet high and 30 to 40 feet wide. Yeah. Dense with birds. And literally there was one time it, it stretched on for, it looked like two or three miles. Yeah. It, it's, it's an amazing phenomenon. My bird watching friend pointed it out to me. She's taken me on a couple of bird watching adventures. And now when I'm driving out in the country and I see it, it's one of those things that always just, it really calms me. So it's a word that brings comfort. When you talk about connotation in words, that's a word that in connotation feels very positive and warm to me. Ah, that's a great word and explains uh, now I have a word for what I saw this fall. That's a great word. I have heard the word, but I did not understand what that word meant. Right. I think I always thought murmuring. You know, you think it would mean something more like murmuring, but it really doesn't. So what's your word for the week, the word for the episode? So my word is the word nuance, and it means a slight variation of things, subtle differences. And I like the word. I didn't know what this word meant. 
I grew up in North Dakota, and my vocab was not that great. Not that there are not people in North Dakota that have great vocab. Now watch it, Dave. Watch it. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't understand what this word meant. So when I was an editor for eight years at a magazine and book publishing company, one of the disciplines that I did is I started to try to read at a higher level. So I would read The New Yorker. I would read Atlantic Monthly. I would read... Harper's Magazine, and then higher than that, more journals, but higher level reading. And what I found was (laughs) how bad my vocab was, and I would have to look up words. So I began this discipline of writing the word down and creating note cards, just like I was doing for an exam. But I remember I I probably had two, three hundred note cards at one time. And the reason I did it is because sometimes I forget the word and I wanted to make it a part of my vocabulary or make whatever the word was a part of my vocabulary. So the word nuance was something I had heard people say, but I didn't understand what it was. And so this idea of a slight variation, subtle differences, Mm -hmm. in fact, that's what makes a great book thesis wonderful is it's, it's nuanced. It's slightly different than what's common. So funny story. My son this summer, we got into a huge fight because he told me, mom, when you make an argument, it is not nuanced. (laughs) So I'm very familiar with that word. And it it got me hard in the gut and I had to step back and not be defensive, but I understood what he was saying. It was around um, some of the conversation around the 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 race um, racial riots that were happening in in June and um, we had a real a much richer conversation once you know I was able to nuance my argument a little bit. <laughs> I would have a hard time throwing stones when somebody would say that to me, but I guess it would force you to think. Yes. Well, daggers did come out of my eyes, and I did storm off for a bit, so I didn't respond perfectly. <laughs> That's a great story. Nuance, slight variations of color or argument, maybe slight variations of smell. I don't know if you could apply it to that. Yeah, it's a good word. There's a lot of ways to use the word. So one quick story. You used to write down words on note cards because you felt like your vocabulary was lacking. When I was a sophomore in high school and I had to take the PSAT, I got the results back and I bombed on the vocabulary section. I mean, my I did so poorly. And so I'm like, I have got to improve my vocabulary. And so I did what you did. I started to memorize the dictionary. I got a dictionary and I just started to go through it and memorize words because I was so <laughs> committed to improving my vocabulary. And soon my dad, who was a pastor, he would throw in a vocabulary word in every sermon to see if I would pick up on it. So I do think if you want to improve your vocabulary, you just have to learn new words and start using them. It has to be intentional. You can't be passive about it. So did it improve your final PSAT test? Yes, it did. And I can say now that I, I, people do comment on my vocabulary. So (laughs) I think... You pursued a PhD in English Lit. That's amazing. Right. Proof that you can change your trajectory. If you want to write and you want to become a a better writer, learning new words is so fundamental. Absolutely. It makes your writing more nuanced. Ah, Perfect. What a (laughs) Perfect. perfect end.
And on that note, <laughs> I think that's a wrap. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.